And we're on. Welcome to the Bronze Compass Podcast. My name is Matthew. I am your host, and I today am going to be looking at a continuation of what we did last time. If we remember correctly, last time what we were talking about, or what we ended on, was that what we want is for people to choose to create families in order to have family units to create a strong country and a stronger people. So what we need to look at now is we need to look at um, why would people make that choice? Why do we, we know why we want them to make the choice of having families, but what directs people into making that choice? We get established already that we cannot force them to do it. By forcing people, you invite kickback and blowback that you don't want to deal with, number one, and number two is detrimental to the society. So what are we looking at? What we were looking at then is the other force in people's lives, and that is the society as a whole, the culture. So what is culture? When we step into culture, what are we talking about? What kind of discussions are we having about culture? Well, culture you usually hear in a news article or report or something of that nature, usually talking about or is easily seen in anthropology. So, for example, you have the Roman culture or um, some Indian tribe culture like the uh, uh, Hopewell culture of the Americas or the uh, Oltec uh, culture, um, Incan culture, etc. In, in a historical sense, the reason that you would use culture as a measuring stick is because culture is basically the manifestations of the people itself, what it's able to do, what its capabilities are, what its achievements are, things like customs, art, uh, social institutions, um, buildings, architecture, uh, laws, the general overall nest of what a country is, right? Or what a people is, the people's essence. So when we're looking at culture, so let me give you an idea of culture and how it transcends and and surpasses borders. Ancient Greece was a culture of people and a people of multiple city-states. Now a city-state is a city that has the power and functions as a state. Well, what is a state? A state is, in the United States, a basic province or subsection of a country. And that isn't what a state is at all in the truest sense of the word. A state is basically a country or a government. Now, why in the United States do we say states? The United States was created specifically from the idea that each one of the states were their own entities, that the colonies would become states, basically tiny countries, and that the states would have a union together. We see this in the past of the United States with the Articles of Confederation. A confederation is a union or an alliance of individual states. Well, how is that different from the Union of the United States? 
It's different in the sense that take treaties, for example. Under the Articles of Confederation, a country, or not a country, but a state like Virginia, could have its own trade negotiations, its own trade laws, its own um, diplomatic negotiations for most of its stuff with, say, Great Britain. And in this way, because Virginia could have a different policy, Pennsylvania could have a different policy, New York could have a different policy, not only of foreign entities, but with each other. If you were Virginia, you could definitely have, say, a tariff on goods coming in from North Carolina or Maryland or Pennsylvania or any other state, right? And this caused division amongst the states, which required them to have the Constitutional Convention. And at that convention, that decided to be a union. And the difference between a union and the Confederacy was, or the, yeah, the Articles of Confederation, was that a federal government would now be in charge. With the federal government now in charge of foreign relations and um, being the go-between or the mediator between all arguments between states, that now made it the supreme law of the land. And it also made it so that New Yorkers couldn't charge extra to Massachusetts uh, people versus, say, Pennsylvanians. So then coming around, trying to create a full circle, going back to the ancient Greeks, the ancient Greeks had their city-states, basically tiny countries with um, one major city in charge, um, that was separate from each other. Athens was different from Delphi, which was different from Corinth, which was different from Sparta which was different from Kenosis, which was different from, and the list goes on and on. Now, it was the language that united the people as a common culture. They did things very much the same way. They had very much the same type of geography that they had to deal with, of long, snaky-type coastlines and natural harbors. That created a culture of isolation within each city-state, as well as a culture of traders and fishermen. This required or an adaptation by each city-state to create their own form of defense. So with Sparta, the natural example that we have of that is that every person in Sparta that was a male, uh, free, they were part of the military. They didn't have any other job than the military. Whereas in Athens, they had a militia, which was basically everybody does their own job at home or in the shop or whatever. But when the bell rings, everybody grabs their own weapons shows up on the common green or the town square or whatever, and then is part of the military. And these people were called hoplites. Now, the thing that unites them when we're studying them is the culture. It's their architecture in how almost every single building, no matter which city state you go to, seems to be created or designed by the same architect or a similar architect. It is the language where every single place that you go, they are all speaking the Greek language. It is the food. 
Now, the food is also determinant upon the geography and what is available to you. But still, when everybody's making the exact same type of bread or the exact same type of meat, everybody's eating goat, that type of thing, then you create a culture. People are sharing the uh, recipes, the traditions, and um, the overall essence of the people. So then we fast forward to what we are now. We see that what culture is and how it was connected, such as with the ancient Greeks, where they all had a volunteer type force for the most part. They all had a king for the most part. I mean, the isolation created different things, such as with Athens, they were able to dabble in democracy. There's an intellectualism amongst most of the uh, Greek city-states. For example, an Athenian um, was the tutor of a Macedonian king. Um, that king is Alexander the Great. Aristotle, if I remember right, is the tutor from Athens. So you're looking at a people that could share, be a part of, and at the same time still war together. But that was the culture of ancient Greece. There was no Greece in the past. Greece is a modern invention by several treaties, mostly in wars with the Ottoman Empire. So now we'll fast forward to now in our discussion about culture. What is culture in America? What culture do we want? Well, you hear in modern form or in current discussion in the uh, blogosphere as well as the newsroom that culture in America is part of the Western culture. What is Western culture? What is Western civilization? The traditions of Western civilization have several roots, but the main root of it is Christianity. The philosophies of Christ, the philosophies of Peter, and the philosophies of Paul all have created a culture where um, people are united in their ideas, in their philosophies, in their moral values, whether they are Christian or not. A quick look-see into Western culture and Western civilization even though the majority of it is Christian, even the non-Christian is a shared value because most non-Christian parts of the culture are about not being Christian. You don't really have that type of thing in, say, uh, the Arab or uh, pagan parts of Africa, the Americas, Asia. They're not sitting there talking about the immorality of morality or how you don't exist because um, Christ wasn't real or some other thing of that nature that is a counter to the Christian culture. If we look at Western culture in the beginning, what we have is everybody seems to have a general overall view of the world that is cosmological, meaning they have multiple gods, these multiple gods are almost always in the sky. They are almost always represented by a planet or a star. They almost all have near the same type of uh, powers and um, positions and responsibilities. 
For example, you can see that in Greek and Roman, especially those two cultures, in their pagan form and pagan days, they had Zeus and Jupiter, both which were sky gods, both used the thunderbolt, um, both had somebody make the thunderbolts for them, um, both struggled against their parents, etc. In fact, the Roman pagan um, pantheon is basically a carbon copy of the Greek one, but if you move back a little bit further, you'll see the same type of paganism, say, in ancient Egypt, ancient Carthaginians, the ancient Phoenicians. Um, you see it in the ancient Germans, the ancient Celts. And they aren't exactly carbon copies of each other, but you look at a pantheon or you look at the uh, little idols that they have and you see certain things like a Mother Earth, like a Father Sky, like a sun god or a lightning god or both at the same time. You see um, a father-son dynamic, such as with Odin and Thor. You see um, these shared instances that suggest a very close past that had a specific source. Now, in the past, People have looked at that source and said, this is part of the North Steppe tribe of the Aryan people. Now, who are the Aryans? The Aryan people, according to the anthropologists and historians, are a tribe and people from the Northern Steppe region of Russia, specifically from the Ural Mountain area. They had several technological advances that others didn't, such as iron, horse training, riding the bit, chariots, etc. They moved and migrated into the Middle East and took over the Middle East. Now, this is disputed amongst many historians, many anthropologists, but the overall view, when we look at what its legacy is now, they went into what's called... Um, well, what is uh, Western India or Pakistan, and they were in Northern India, and they were in Iran, Iraq, Anatolia or Turkey, as well as Europe and Northern Europe and Western Europe and Eastern Europe, right? And they spread throughout. But the most important places that they stayed was the Persian area, which is current day Iran. Now, something that's interesting is that Iran is actually supposed to be pronounced something close to Iran, and it is the Persian word for Aryan. Now, if we sit there and we think about this, we're talking about 5,000 years ago, at least, of a people that showed up, and the current people at that location, instead of calling themselves Persian, decide to call themselves Aryan. This is a legacy that has been left over from them. Now, what's the point of that? The point is that there is a shared history and value system of Western civilization that has morphed and molded and evolved over time. And the biggest, and right now, Western civilization and culture is divided between two major philosophies. You see, the ancient philosophy was one of paganism. It was one of uh, 
self-reflection, finding favor with the gods and connection to nature. Now, everybody had that sort of thing, but it's the type of gods and what they worshipped, how they worshipped, and what they did and where they did it. That is the important part of the culture. That is the glue, the the connections between each people, language, and um, identities. It morphs and evolves into a Christian culture because, of course, of Jesus Christ with the enforcement of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire creates the Catholic Church. Catholic Church becomes the dominant force in the Middle Ages, and that continues to grow all the way until the Enlightenment, quote-unquote, where the Enlightenment follows a non-Christian or non-religious thinking, where it follows the humanism of the 14, 15, 1600s and takes that and runs with it in a way that... It now is looking at anything and everything in a secular light. And instead of looking at things like emotion, people, ideas, government, religion, in a religious God made it sense, this is how he wants it type thing. It now starts looking at things through a natural scope of, okay, God made everything fine. That's that's good. Now, what? Because they're dealing with the ideas of the scientific revolution, the ideas being that if you can observe it, if you can test it, if you can report on it, if you can verify it, validate it, and fabricate it so that it can and falsify it, then what you now have is you have science. That's the scientific um, method, and that is what we should be going by. And that is what... Um, the Enlightenment then takes and runs with in a philosophical sense. What is man? What is their purpose? How are things supposed to run? And so the culture, being Christian, adding this atheist Enlightenment um, or secular Enlightenment influence, comes up with the idea that we are by nature free. This freedom is then has parts to it and is then sort of put on hold for the sake of safety and the group. So for example, you being born to your parents in the middle of the forest, in the middle of nowhere, can do anything you want. You can chop the tree down. You can mine for gold. You can dig it up. You can, you know, make the massive open pit mine that you've always wanted to. Whatever you want, that is what you can do. Now, when you start adding people, there is the idea that because you have now added people, there are certain things you no longer can do. And there are certain items that are called rights that now come in to the picture. These rights are natural rights, such as you have the right to your life and no one can take it away from you at all. Now, in a social sense, if you do something that's so grievous, that's so horrible, so heinous, that it demands 
some kind of retribution, that's where the people as a whole must now choose whether you live or die, right? You kill somebody, you should be killed. That was the theory. But in a government setting, you can't have the governor, the king, the whoever that's in charge, the people as a whole, just say that they don't like you and kill you. So an institution was set up, the legal system, so that um, your rights would be protected and your life would not be taken from you without the process through the legal system. And certain rules and regulations would be a part of that legal system so that you could be sure that you would get a fair shake, an opportunity to present your case and an opportunity to be found not guilty. This not guilty possibility is the most important part of the entire process because if anybody can make an accusation about you and everybody now has to believe it or is just going to go with whoever makes an accusation you can have some nefarious people some bad actors decide that they're going to start going around accusing people of any and all sorts of things you see this in american history most succinctly with the salem witch trials in the Salem witch trials, what we had is a bunch of girls that were caught doing a bunch of things and didn't want to get caught doing a bunch of things. And so they claimed that certain people in the community were witches and were forcing them to do it. And they accused hundreds of people and seven of them were found guilty and burned of witchcraft. Now, in a modern day situation, witchcraft is not a bad thing. You're just sitting there looking at them like, okay, so they believe in some herbs, some magic words, and, you know, soup in a big bowl. That's what witchcraft looks like now because of movies and things like that, right? I mean, and for whatever reason, the witchcraft is always done in some kind of ancient Babylonian, Latin, or... Uh, Scandinavian language in almost everything. It's almost always Latin. But the point is, is that you had seven people die because of false accusations of witchcraft or the intolerance of other ideas and culture, specifically religion in this case. What's the point? The point is, is that these natural rights, these laws, these institutions that are created, are both um, official and unofficial. For example, holidays. Holidays are an official yet also unofficial thing. So, for example, the uh, holidays of St. Patrick's Day, Valentine's Day, even though they are official on the books, right, you don't get them off. But there is an accepted cultural norm associated with them. The accepted cultural norm, of course, of, say, Valentine's Day is to treat your sweetheart right, give her or him some kind of gift, and ooh-la-la, right? That's the expectation. That's the cultural norm. There is no law about that. 
No one's looking over your shoulder. There are no elders in the village or the town or the city or whatever going, oh, well, if you're not participating, shame. You know what I mean? So in America, when it comes to these type of holidays or just holidays in general or the culture in general, what you have is a non-linear culture. You look at, say, France. France has a specific people, culture, um, race, geography, etc., that you can follow through time from the Gaelic campaigns of Julius Caesar all the way to today. And you can see the overarching institutions and traditions that create the culture of France. The United States is not that way. The United States is an organic culture that has had multiple upon multiple upon multiple additions to it. In fact, anytime you add people from another culture, you then get many, shall we say, corruptions of the original culture. Now, I'm not talking corruption in the sense of it's bad. I'm talking about it is a change or an evolution um, or a morphing of the original culture. So, for example, you had the original settlers of the United States in the 13 colonies being from England. However, the cultural um, additions from other cultures happened very early on. The Germans coming all over also, as, long as, as well as the Welsh, as well as the Scottish. But you also had um, the Africans who came in as slaves and eventually let go. Well, the first ones were eventually let go as an indentured servants, which we'll talk about another time. And their culture, when they got out on their own, doing their own thing, created an entirely different idea of what the architecture of, say, homes were going to be with the addition of what's called the shotgun home. Now, that's just an example or a little portion of what you're looking at. If we look at the American culture in our language alone, you're looking at the addition of so many different words, right? Somebody can say rucksack or ruck, and we all know what it's talking about, even though it's German, right? Somebody can yell Geronimo jumping out of a plane, even though it's an Indian chief and war chief, uh, brave, right? We're looking at somebody says hasta la vista and everybody understands what hasta la vista is because the culture adapted to the Terminator 2 and an Austrian saying in a weird accent. This is what culture is and this is what the evolution of culture is. So why is that important? Because what we're looking at now is a culture in the United States where we put down the family. Anytime you look, now look at the family in pop culture, art, television, movies, you have a general overarching view of what the family is. You have a, you have a theme. That theme is the man is ugly or stupid or both. The woman is hot, a little ditzy, or smarter than everybody. And, and that's if they're together. And the kids are brats. If you look in, say, 1950, the kids are basically kids trying to grow up and learn what's going on in the world. The mother is a loving, nurturing individual that seems to know most things, if not all things. And the father is the know-it-all. That's the stoic monolith 
that everyone holds on to as the beacon of stoicism in their life. The even-keeled individual. And that's what you have. Look at all of the 1950s sitcoms. Right? Take, Vic Dan, take Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke, the guy was a comedian. He was a goofball and stuff. But he was also the voice of reason to um, his wife, who always had the breakdown, Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball always had a breakdown, always making a mistake. The man was the stoic individual. Now, in a patriarchal culture where the father is the one in charge, the father takes the responsibility of raising the family or taking care of the family in the sense of providing, protecting, creating a home or a place where the family can be raised and live, right? It made sense. He's the stalwart individual that's going to right the ship, right? Whereas the woman was the one that created the nurturing environment, uh, created the home and made it a loving place where people were accepted and loved and took care of the general problems as well as the maintenance of the family, right? Nowadays, you don't have anything like that. The woman does everything and the man is basically just a child in big form. When you put down men, why would a woman want to marry it? If you look at what women want when they respond to surveys, they want a man that's popular. They want one that's bigger than them, stronger than them, smarter than them, make more money than them, is funnier than they are, um, in general, is a better version of who they are. That way they can look up to them, rely upon them, and have a feeling and overall idea of comfort, protection, and provision. This has been the same and true from the 1950s all the way up until today. And in fact, modern day women are having a very difficult time trying to find such a man because the male is being put down in modern society or is choosing to put themselves down with living in mom's basement playing video games. We all know people like this. Everybody knows somebody who decided to stay home or chill out with roommates and play video games. We all know women who decided to go out, be go-getters, now they're looking for somebody to settle down with and be serious with, and they can't find anybody because the men have decided not to participate because they're always being put down. If they're always doing what's wrong and they're always on the wrong side, then why are you going to try? Because you're never gonna get it right. This is the current situation of our culture where men are bad, men are wrong, men are evil, Women are always right. Women are always good. Men, women are always doing um, the proper things. When you create a culture like that, what you're going to do is you're going to create a culture that decides either not to participate or to go against you. Women felt this type of culture in a different way in the early 1900s and the mid 1900s where the man was always right the man was always providing the man was always doing and the woman was wrong their counterculture was not to withdraw and just forget about it such that men seem to be doing today their culture and their response to this was to fight and their fight was the vote 
and then feminism to create a place for them to be safe and to empower them to be what they want to be. Now, that that movement has been corrupted into a man-hating, everybody-sucks type of culture, but the original women should be able to do what they want when they want, how they want, just like men, makes sense and is exactly what should be for an equality of people and sexes, no matter who they are, no matter what they like or where they're from. So in American culture, if we want people to get together and procreate, what do we need to do? The first thing we need to do is we need to get rid of laws and we need to get rid of things within the culture that are putting people down, that are placing one person above another in every situation. Things like no-fault divorce is an example. No-fault divorce is where somebody can just say, yeah, I want a divorce, and walk away. Now, it makes sense when you think about it and, and reason through it that, yeah, if a person doesn't want to be around them, they should be able to just walk away. Now, in the business world, in the international world of politics, in almost any other sphere of life, you can't just sit there and go, yeah, I'm out and walk away. There's usually a, some kind of punishment, some kind of um, fee, fine, or whatnot that, that deters them from making an action like that, from canceling a contract or walking out of the contract early. I mean, think about football, think about sports, think about movie stars and such. They, they have a contract, they sign it with a company that they're going to perform, and when they perform, they get paid, right? The company's job, the business's job is to give them this shot, right? They're going to be the lead star. They're going to be the head football quarterback or point guard or whatever, and they're going to get paid money to be able to do that. It's the same thing with the marriage. It is a contract. The man is going to be the man. The woman is going to be the woman. We're not going to touch the different partnerships and relationships that are out there right now. We're just going to deal with the natural binary outlook of what culture is and what people are and what history is right now in the biosphere of culture. So you can't have no-fault divorce where somebody just walks away just because. An individual planning their life and putting things together can't have the fear in the back of their mind that what's going to happen is, is that their partner at any time is going to get up and walk out just because. It creates a tyranny of the people or the individual or the partner where one person just says, well, you know what? You're not making me happy, so I'm walking out. You know what? I'm bored, so I'm walking out. You know what? You didn't make me the food the way I like. I'm walking out. And right now, that's possible in divorce. I don't like it. I'm walking out. Instead of there being a fault, thus negating the contract of marriage, thus making it so that people have to work things out. It doesn't require the individuals to actually become better people. It is nothing more than a litigation nightmare. 
it is a lawyer's dream that multiple people decide that they're going to get rid of their spouse. They get paid. The system gets money. And people can now use that as political power against you. That's just one part of the culture of the United States that needs to change, where people now have to work things out and stay the course. And it makes it so that marriage is actually a serious thing instead of just a fun, hey, let's get married and run to Vegas. It's a, wait a second, this is serious. Let's act like it's serious. And let's work on ourselves to be the better selves that we are. Another thing in American culture that Americans need to do to repair it is grab a hold of their foundations of reason and Christianity. When a culture is dominant in one religion or one moral philosophy, such as Christianity, and it is now destroyed, it has to be replaced. This happened under paganism in the Roman Empire into Christianity. Well, what happened? Well, the Christians had been persecuted for over 200 years, and they exacted revenge on the people. They took over their temples. They made them into Christian uh, cathedrals or churches, and they totally wiped out almost all resemblance of paganism in all senses. Now, some people think that's good. Some people think it's bad. Here or there, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is that what happened was is you had a massive amount of death of people fighting back against the new power. We don't want massive amounts of death. What we need is a compromise. The compromise is, is that you let people be what they want to be and you accept a moral philosophy for the country, the moral philosophy being Christian. It is through the Christian moral philosophy that we get things such as a penny saved is a penny earned. Even though that is a quote from Benjamin Franklin, it is, its roots are within Christianity. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Christian. We have multiple sayings and multiple philosophies that come directly from Christianity, even though nobody even understands where they are coming from. Things like apple of my eye, uh, a man after his own heart or after my own heart, um, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, land of milk and honey, uh, what else do people say? Writing is on the wall to the ends of the earth, baptism by fire, uh, straight and narrow, wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, Good Samaritan, uh, Pride before the fall, Pride comes before the fall, or right, Seeing eye to eye, Eat, drink, and be merry, Armageddon, all our ideas and sayings that come directly from the Bible, from Christianity. And so these ideas are within the framework of the culture. They come directly from the culture. The idea of hard work comes from the Bible, where from the sweat of thy brow thou shalt eat. That 
is part of the individualism of America. Now, we've gone too long already. and We'll continue this at another time. But the culture of America needs to change to one where we get back to our roots. And this is the whole point of this podcast. And this is the full circle where we started out looking at the culture and what we want to change the culture to be in looking at the roots of where it starts and coming up. What we want, what we need is for the people to become a people that has embraced the Christian moral philosophy of do unto others as you have them do unto you. You don't want people to steal from you, don't steal from others. You don't want people to tax you beyond your ability to live, don't tax people beyond their ability to live. You don't want somebody to take 80% of what you make, don't take 80% of what somebody else makes. You don't want somebody to come to you or you don't want the government to come to you and say, pay for my child's tuition, don't demand that of somebody else. And when we get to a philosopher world, we start looking at the laws that we make just like that. We then now will understand why we have gone away so much from the original intent of the Constitution and why we are having such a crisis in the United States right now in culture where we see people do things that just do not make sense, where we see the government make laws that don't make sense, that seem to target people, that these companies are doing things, massive companies, major companies are doing things that doesn't make sense. They're excluding people for what reason? Because they don't like them? They don't like the philosophy? Maybe they don't like who they hang with? Do you want that? Would they want that done to them? No. Nobody wants to get canceled. Nobody wants to get pushed away. Nobody wants to get ostracized or pushed out, treated like a leper, biblical reference. And so we must have that tolerance and we must have that understanding that our moral foundation and philosophy is a biblical Christian one. And we must make it so and keep it so. It is through this that we created the country that we have. It is through this that we created the moral nation that we have that has fought against the tyrannies of communism, fascism, slavery, and almost any other forms of tyranny and oppression. Have they done some oppressing? Yeah, that doesn't make it bad. It means they made a mistake. They change and move on. We change and move on. And that's what we must do now. This has been the Bronze Compass Podcast. My name is Matthew. Thank you for joining me. Share this with your friends and family if you like, and if you don't, keep it to yourself. We are out in one, two, three, four.